0: Yeah, we are, uh, we're about to work on the A.C. I see a little a couple people busting out cardigans and things like that, so um, I will never complain about it being cold, but I know some other people might, so that's okay. Hey, Sarah, Rob, I sent y'all a text. Could one of y'all ask Jennifer just to knock it up a couple degrees? I don't know. Is it turn the A.C. up or turn it down? Off. Off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Same thing. Same difference. Man, it's good to be back. Uh, I was here last Sunday, but my family and I, we got to go on a, a real vacation this past week and like unplug and eat, and eat's generally what I mean by vacation, like go and eat whatever I want, and, uh, and it was good, and so, um, man, for the people that did things back here so that we didn't have to, thank you for that, and uh, it, was, it was good to get away and unplug, so, but super excited to be back too, uh, did like, it was weird, uh, I did sermon prep by the pool, um, on you know a little bit and then on Friday just kind of sat out and like I always find shade because the son and I have an agreement that I if I don't get in it he won't burn me and so like in shade doing that and it was just it was just a change of scenery it was kind of nice and so um, man super glad to be back so did want to point out this uh, Taylor Wood where are you Taylor where'd you go man there he is man next Saturday dude's getting married and so our percussionist, him and Kaylee, are getting hitched on Saturday, and so if you don't know Taylor and, and Kaylee yet, Kaylee's living up there, but they're going to be down here for good after they get hitched, and so we're super excited about that, uh, so make sure you tell him good luck with that, and tell him you'll be thinking about him next Saturday, and, and it's I do or I will, that's all you have to say, and just you, you do that, and you'll be fine, and uh, after doing like 20 or 30 weddings, it's easy to admit, it's really hard to screw those up, you know, so just, just do your job, and you're going to be fine, and uh, so, yeah, make sure you talk to them and congratulate them. And, and my wife will do some announcement at the end, but I wanted to throw this out there, too, because it's, it's pertinent to who we are and, and how we do things. Uh, this week, there will be an email that will go out, and it will be on social media, too. Um, a survey about community groups, like when would be best, where would be best uh, for those that are going to be in community groups, which I would suggest would be all of you. Um, get in a community group. It's how we function. Like Sundays, these are great, but we really can't get to know each other on Sundays. It's one of the reasons we do First Sunday breakfast, but even at the best that we are on First Sunday breakfast, we really don't have time to really like, get to know one another. That happens during the week. And God intends to shape us through each other, through Scripture, through the Spirit's indwelling and all of that. And so if you consider yourself to be a part of Origins and actually want to give this a shot for God to use it in your life, be in a community group. Uh, it takes sacrifice. It takes effort. We talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, but it's incredibly, incredibly important. And so, um, and this is not a do list so that you can earn God's favor. It is I get to do this so that God can refine me, make me who He wants me to be. And so community groups are our kind of our modus operatus to, to do that the best that we can. So be on, be on the lookout for that, uh, that survey. And then survey our community groups are going to launch like the second full week of September. We get past Labor Day, that, that last travel weekend, and then uh, we will go. And so be on the lookout. So today we're back in the Book of Mark, believe it or not. Um, been there for a little while. Uh, we're, we're a couple months shy of a year, but we're just going to keep on rolling. And no apologies necessary from anybody. Including me, uh, we're in Mark chapter nine, verses thirty through thirty-seven today, and and like we've talked about a few weeks ago, um, Jesus has kind of shifted from the healings for the most part. And the physical examples as to who he is, revealing like his deity and his power and his authority and all of those things over the natural and even the supernatural, and now he's in like this teaching mode and so today's like one of these primary examples of him just just teaching the disciples and by extension teaching us too and he's going to do that for the next couple of weeks for us for them it was probably a couple of days for us we're going to stretch it into a couple of weeks, and then it's going to shift again to him. Kind of the death march is what I refer to it, like walking towards the crucifixion, knowing where he's going and all of the things that occur as a result. Um, but we're going to be in chapter, chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're just going to jump right in. God, we love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for uh, setting aside time and space uh, for us just to, to worship you, uh, to tell you that you're worthy, um, even though we understand by all natural, intense purposes we should not be, but you've made us that way, and thank you for that. Uh, God, I, I thank you for the preparation that went into planning songs and doing all of that and our ability to be shoulder to shoulder in the same room uh, together with one voice telling you that you're good and you're worthy. Uh, God, I thank you for your word that is faithful to make us look more and more like your son and the bride that he deserves. And so, God, thank you for it today. I pray we look at it well. And, God, I pray you use it to shape us and make us. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, chapter 9, starting in verse 30, we're going to read, we're actually going to read 30 through 32 and and talk about that briefly, and then we'll tackle 33 through 37. So, in verse 30, we find them leaving uh, where they just were. Jesus did like a healing plus some teaching. There was, I don't know if you were here last week. If you weren't, the message is up on, you know, everywhere that you listen to podcasts, not the website because there's a little technical hanky panky going on there, so we don't know, but everywhere else you can find it. But in this particular passage that we looked at last week was this beautiful place of, yes, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And so something that we should be familiar with, an idea that we should be able to freely state to God without remorse, just saying, yes, I do believe, but I need you, you, Jesus, to help me in the areas that I don't. If you didn't get to listen to that last week, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to it, a very pivotal text. And so they're leaving that place, and in verse 30, we find them walking, because they do that a lot, and they're heading back to Capernaum, which was kind of Jesus' home base when in Galilee. And in verse 30, it says, they went on from there, where they were, and passed through Galilee. Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to, be de- going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, or on the third day, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask. In the course of just the past few weeks, the past few chapters, this is the second time in which Jesus has actually laid out there that He's going to be handed over, he's going to be killed, and then he's going to be raised from the dead. And the disciples, like we see right here, they're still just kind of like, I I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't get it. Like the resurrection to them, um, when, when Hebrews, when they would talk about the resurrection, they weren't talking about Jesus being resurrected or the Messiah, the Deliverer being resurrected. They were thinking about the end times when full resurrection would occur. That's the resurrection that they were familiar with. And the last time that Jesus laid this out fully, uh, right after that, uh, that's when Peter pretty much told Jesus, no, 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 you're not going to die, I'm not going to let it happen, you need to stop talking like that. And in that moment, Jesus turned to him and he was like, look, you be quiet. <laughs> And not only you be quiet, but you be quiet right now. Get behind me, Satan. So it wasn't literally calling him Satan, but he was saying you're speaking in terms of the world, not in terms of the kingdom, and you don't understand and you need to stop. You're thinking like the world. You're not thinking like you're a part of this kingdom. And so in this case, when Jesus told them for the second time, and it's kind of like the second and a half time, um, Peter was silent, as were the rest of the disciples. It says they were afraid to speak. Maybe they were afraid to speak because they were ashamed to admit that they didn't understand. Maybe they were afraid to speak because what they said wasn't going to be right, and they were going to be called Satan and told to get behind Jesus. Either way, they were afraid to say anything, and so they heard it, and they were just like, I don't know. I don't know. On the mountain, just a... A couple lines previous, there were three disciples with Jesus, and on the way down the mountain, Jesus kind of gave that other half of the prediction. Uh, He said, the Son of Man, uh, these things you're not going to talk about until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Same kind of scenario. They were still kind of listening to it, and like, I just don't understand. And so, I think for us, like, this is not even the full application of what we're going to talk about today. But even for disciples who were walking, listening, eating, sleeping, doing all of those things in the presence of Jesus, when they heard about the resurrection, they were like, man, that's so crazy, I don't even know what to say. And so we need to go ahead and toss that out there. Like what Jesus did, the way Jesus accomplished hope, not normal, not likely, completely other than, more than unusual, just once in an eternity kind of thing. That should be focused on to such a degree that we say that is crazy and it's also amazing. The disciples, they were there and they didn't know what to think about They had no idea what to say. And so from there, it's important this sets up the scene for what's going to happen in just a second, the words that are going to come out of Jesus' mouth. But Jesus just basically telling them, he's like, look, this rabbi, you've been following me, if I'm going to speak in the first person, but he's speaking in the third person, if he was speaking in the first person, he's like, soon, look, I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be handed over to men, not to God. I'm going to be handed over from God to men. I'm going to be killed. But don't worry, on the third day I'm coming back. And so we need to hear that. We need to hear who's saying it, how he's saying it, and from what place he's saying it to see the irony of, about, of what's to come next. And so in verse 33, let's read 33 through 37. It says, And they came to Capernaum, they got to where they were going, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued, they had disagreed with each other about who was the greatest. And he sat down, he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child, and he put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And so, in this pos- this place right here, it's very likely that uh, the home base, uh, being being Capernaum, place in Galilee, it's very likely this was Peter's house. We don't know that for sure, um, but given the relationships that are there and the pl- fact that Jesus needed a place to stay, there was an intact relationship. Peter's house, maybe Peter and Andrew's house, if the brothers lived together. But either way, they go to a house, and here's the purpose, the intent of all of this. Jesus wanted to get away, away from the crowds, for the sole purpose of just teaching the disciples. Uh, the previous passage says, For he was teaching the disciples, saying to them, that idea in, in the Greek is just like he was perpetually teaching them, but intentionally teaching them. It wasn't just a one-hit wonder, but he was doing it repeatedly uh, on and on and on from this point. And so in this place, no different. It says that he went to a house, get away from the crowd, and so he, he kind of began to teach the disciples. And this is what had happened. Apparently on the way, the disciples had an argument. They had an argument about who was the greatest, like, who was the greatest? Not Muhammad Ali, because he was obviously the greatest, but different kind of greatest. They're like, amongst them, who was the greatest? And so, like, not an odd conversation, given their context for us. Like, we hear it, and you're like, man, what a weird thing for you guys to argue about. But, but in Greco-Roman and in, in Hebrew ideas and in Israelite ideas, like, it was very common to be very obsessed with status in culture. Like it was very, very common. As a matter of fact, like pre-Jesus, like uh, the teachers of the law, like the Pharisees and the scribes, they would often have arguments among themselves, like who was going to be seated seated closer to the throne of God. Like who was going to be closest. This was common common descriptive language from them, like it's going to be me. No, 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 it's going to be you because I know you. You're better than me. But it's going to, it's going to be me. It's like arguing back and forth. They would base it on like, their knowledge of the Torah. They would base it on their righteousness. They would base it on their good behavior. They might base it on the lusciousness of their beard. Whatever it may be, they would base it on whatever. And they would say, hey, uh, it's important that we know who is the most important among this crowd. And it's most likely me. Like this was just their common language. In Greco-Roman society, even, even more so. Like, I mean, you had people elevating their status so that they could get more things or have more things. As a matter of fact, like the very first book probably chronologically written to the early church was James. And in James 2, James addresses it as the sin of partiality. I mean, he calls it a sin. He doesn't call it a bad idea. He he calls it a sin. Now, we can extend that into racism, sexism, classism, anything like that, but basically ascribing worth to someone over someone else based on appearances or financial stability or jobs or anything like that. He says, look, this is called the sin of partiality. You're showing partiality, it is a sin. And so, but in this time, in this place, like it was normal operating procedure to talk about who is the greatest, who is the best, who is going to be seated closer to God than someone else. That was the way they were doing it but Jesus takes this opportunity to teach the disciples he said hey you guys were having an argument on the way what was that about now either he overheard or he had divine revelation or he just knew a lot of times Jesus did know what people were even thinking before they said it he would answer inner questions I love those passages in which somebody doesn't even say something out loud it says and Jesus answered them and I'm like yeah that's Jesus but anyway in this case um, he said hey uh, you guys Hey, you guys, what were you arguing about on the way? And they kept silent. Same way in which right after he predicted his death and his resurrection and all that kind of stuff, they were afraid to speak. In this case, they knew they knew they had been probably busted, and they just they just kind of kept quiet. They kept quiet. And it says, it says uh, they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. It wouldn't be the last time either. Like the very next chapter, we're going to see two of them do it again. And and so he sat them down, and he called the twelve. He took the posture of a teacher, of a rabbi. Generally, when a rabbi would speak, he wouldn't be teaching. He wouldn't be be standing in front of people. He wouldn't be at a lectern or, or anything like that. He would just sit, and his disciples would sit at his feet. And so he sat down, and that was pretty much the symbol, okay, I'm sitting. You come, you sit, you listen. And so he sits down, and he says this to them. He says, if anyone would be first, he must be last, and servant of all. So we hear this and we're like, man, that's that's really good. That's really good, Jesus. That's fortune cookie worthy. But you have to understand, like we talk about the fact that God's economy is so vastly different from ours. Like the way he does things, they are. Like they're the upside down of the way that we would normally do things. For them, this would have been completely the opposite of everything they knew, thought, or the way that they functioned. This would not have been normal, especially for people functioning in the religious life of of Jewish religious life because it had had grown to such an absurd function of do's and don'ts and watch me do and don't that this would have been very, very odd. Because the only way then that it would have been celebrated that you serve someone is if it would have been very visible, very visible. Like we think that social media is is the chief of all of that. It existed well, well before social media well before social media. That's the reason when Jesus instructs them to pray. Like when he's giving us the examples as to how to pray, the Lord's prayers we talk about, he's like, look, don't do it like the hypocrites or the actors or the Pharisees. Don't do it like them standing on the corner using loud voices and big words and empty phrases. No, go in a closet, close the door just between you and God. Do it like that. He was addressing the culture then. He's addressing the culture now. And he's saying, look, if any of you would desire to be at the head of the line, Understand, you actually need to be at the back of the line, taking every opportunity to meet needs. It's like if you want to be first, that is. I know Ricky Bobby's dad would have de- you know, heavily disagreed with this, if you're not first you you're last. Not the same thing, but anyway. Sorry, I should stop referencing that movie as a pastor. TBS version is, is fairly acceptable. But either way, um, it's, it's a pretty funny phrase. We're going to edit that out, okay? Um, but either way, he, he looks to them and he's like, look, I know exactly what you were arguing about. You were arguing about who was the greatest, and I'm, I'm just going to sit you down, and I'm going to tell you, as a teacher, if, if you desire to truly be first, you actually need to be last, and you need to serve all. I talk about it a lot. like It's a very interesting word in the Greek for all. It, it means, if you get down to it, it, it means all, like everybody. Yeah, there's no subtext there. It's just you need to serve all. This would not have been normal. So it'd not have been normal, because like now, then, like humility and this type of servanthood, it's not very marketable. It's just not. It doesn't raise your status. It doesn't raise. Um, it doesn't raise uh, your value in society. It doesn't do anything for you. Like, it's kind of the point. It wasn't very marketable. Wasn't normal. He said, if anyone would desire to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then he, he did something interesting. He took a child. Some people have guessed that maybe this is one of Peter's kids. We don't know. All we know is that they're in a house, there's a kid there, and he, he picks up this child. Now, in the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew takes this and another teaching on children, and he kind of puts them together, but Mark and Luke separate them, and in this case, he takes the child and... Sets him in his lap, basically, and he says, "...whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me." And there's another passage that talks about we need to view the kingdom as children. We need to have like childlike faith. Not the same passage, not the same idea. In this case, he's trying to illustrate exactly what he talked about. But the problem is it's not super clear to us because if we read this with our cultural understanding of children, um, this, is, this is weird. So when we view a child, like we view a child as, you know, you're the apple of my eye, you're amazing, you're the most precious thing that I've ever seen, your poop doesn't stink, your cries really don't bother me. We say all of these lies, you know, because they're our children, and we have to love them unconditionally. Like children's cries, they do. They, they hurt your ears, and that's the reason sometimes you have to walk out of the room. And their poop, it does stink, but we revere them very, very highly, and we think that they are the chief of our marriage, that this is the goal of marriage. But either way, procreate children. They're so great. Not the same then. Like, they heard their cries, and they, they understood that they were a drain, and they understood that they were difficult. Now, they loved them, don't get me wrong, but children in this society weren't viewed the way that we view children. Like, they, they weren't idolized the way that we idolize children. Like, the goal of marriage to have kids. That's great. No, it's a byproduct of marriage. And anyway, they, they didn't view them as the same. They were like, man, they were not even considered second-class citizens. They weren't even considered citizens. They were, you know... They were succubuses. They were, they were parasites. They were, it, it did come up, Rob. Look at that. Uh, they were just, man, they were drains on the parents. Now, they were necessary and they were good, but they weren't celebrated. They were, the, you know, they were kind of the lowest of the low. They were beyond, you know, below slaves and beyond any second-class citizen. And so Jesus picks up one of those beings in the middle of this room. He had just told them, he had said, Look, if any of you desire to be first, you need to be last, and you need to serve all. And he picks up a child and puts the child in his lap the child that pees the child that poops the child that cries the child that drives everybody crazy maybe and he says if if you want to know what it looks like to really be what i'm talking about you take care of these now he's not meaning literal children he is meaning literal children but he's meaning his children those who follow me regardless of status Regardless of societal value, regardless of bottom line of their bank account, regardless of job, regardless of position, regardless of phylacteries, regardless of beards, regardless of anything, whoever they are, if they are mine, if you want to be first, you serve them and you serve them all. If you want to be first, again, wouldn't be normal, would not be the thing that benefited them not the way they grew up, because for them, it was a cause and effect, I do this, I get this, and we say, man, that sounds, sounds eerily familiar, because it is, that's our human condition. I do this so that I can get this, I do X so that I can gain Y, and Y better be better than X. But in Jesus' case, he's like, look, you got to understand, I'm changing things. Remember the old wine, new wine, old skin, new skin, same idea, We referenced it a few weeks ago. Like what Jesus is doing, there's no way that it can fit in the old model because it's going to burst it wide open. Same idea. He says, what I'm telling you, I know that it's different. I know that it's counterintuitive. But this is who we need to be. If you desire to be first, you actually need to be last. And you need to serve everybody in between. Even those who have no value in society. Even those who have no value In society, very much like at the end of Matthew, Jesus offers a parable of the coming judgment in Matthew chapter twenty-five, and he says at the end of the time, this is what's going to happen. He's going to separate the sheep and the goats, those who know me and those who don't, and he asks them some interesting questions, kind of in a parable form. Says, then the king will say to those on his right, "Come, you are blessed by the Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world." For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them, Truly I say to you, you did it to one of the least of these my brothers. You did it to me. Really familiar. Really familiar. Then he says, to the contrary, he says, But then he will say to those to his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire Gehenna prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteousness into eternal life. Same idea. If you want to be first, you've got to be last and serve all. It's not marketable. It's not flashy. It's not what social media was built on. And I'm not, I'm not coming after social media. I'm not the old codger that's saying it's all evil. But at the same time, pride keeps it going. Me... The desire for me to be, have accolades sung about me keeps it going like this is not what Jesus is talking about, complete opposite. And to take this posture, to take this position means that our praises may never be sung. There may never be news stories written about us. It's it's really hard to take a picture of our humility and show it off, kind of counteract each other. The irony of all this, though, the reason that I wanted to read 30 through 32 is Jesus was giving a master class on servant leadership, like a master class, like the best that we've ever seen. And he just told them, he's like, this guy, this rabbi, the one that you're following who can literally uh, expel demons from people, who can heal the lame, who can teach with authority that he shouldn't possess even though he was raised by a carpenter, this Jesus is about to willingly be handed over into the hands of men who are going to kill him and die willingly. He was teaching them exactly, exactly what this looked like through himself. Not this just child in his lap, but like everything he had said, everything that he had done, everything that was going to come after him. And in Mark chapter 10, like he sums up the very next conversation that sounds very much like this, and he's like, you got to understand. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve And to be a ransom for many. Like the irony of all this is Jesus just laid out the chief example as to what it looked like to be last, to serve all. And in the very next breath, we see the disciples arguing about who's the greatest. Sometimes our humanity is the greatest difficulty or roadblock in the way of our kingdom-mindedness. Sometimes our humanity is the greatest roadblock in the way of our kingdom-mindedness, and Jesus wants to address it. I love the fact that he didn't rebuke them. Like, I love the fact that he didn't say, boys, you should know by now. He just sat them down, and he taught them. He taught them. Again, it looks way more like a servant than it does a tyrant. It looks way more like someone who's not concerned with the accolades, but about the, the goodness of his boys and his kids. He just taught them. I think a couple things, like this first piece of application is probably the simplest that we can imagine. But it's it's really good. I like it. I wouldn't say it if I didn't like it. That's not true. I say stuff I don't like all the time. But in this case, what do we do with this? The first is we must look to Jesus and learn. You say, well, that's a dust statement. No, it's not. It's really vital. Like, we must look to Jesus and learn. Because, yes, Jesus came to be the atonement that we so desperately needed, that we couldn't fabricate, that we couldn't replicate, that we couldn't imagine. He came to be that. He came to be the spotless lamb and also the lion at the same time, which we can't even wrap our minds around. That's great. He came to live a sinless life so that he could go to the cross and die a sinner's death so that on his through him we could actually have hope, by grace through faith, be united with God. Yes, all of those things, we celebrate the mess out of those. We sing about those. We live in the glory of that. But also, he also came and he lived the life that we could not to be an example as to what we should strive for. And so we need to look to Jesus and actually learn the way that he served, the way that he denied himself, the way that he willingly loosed parts of his divinity so that he could go to the cross. We need to look to all of those things and actually say, uh, God, through your strength, through your power, through the indwelling of the very spirit of God that lives in me, help me do that. Help me do that help me to serve without recognition, help me to serve without end, help me to not worry about my accolades and my praise, but help me to understand if I want to be first, I actually need to be last, and I need to serve all. Jesus did that. And he did that because, number one, that was exactly who he was, and that's what he came to do, but he did that so that we could see it and so that we could know that we can do it too. And we're going to screw up. We're going to fail. There's going to be days in which we want to toot our horn louder than anybody else. But we repent, we confess, we go back. We do what He's told us to do. And, and in, the means, in the meantime of that, we try to figure out what does it look like for me uh, to, to be last, to not worry about my praise, to not worry about my adoration, to not worry about the things that I want people to know so desperately and to just worry about the fact that I want them to know Jesus. What does that look like? Who do we serve in order to make that happen? How do we serve them for how long? You know, all of those questions. Like, those are the things that we need to ask. And in order to answer those, we look to Jesus. And we learn. How did he do it? Can I do that? And, I, and we've said it before. With the exception of dying for humanity, pretty much everything Jesus did through the Spirit of God that lives in us as a seal of our grace by faith, we can do all those things. And that's crazy. But It's true. But do we believe it? We look to Jesus, and we learn, and we understand that God's economy is different. The the things that are celebrated in the kingdom are not necessarily the things that are celebrated in this world. Being last, choosing other people before you choose yourself. Man, nobody's going to give you a medal for that. Not really. But God says, that's what I want. Those are the hearts that I want. Those are the servants that I want. That's what I'm remaking you into, that type of servant that looks like my son. That's what sanctification means, being set apart and being remade in the image of Christ, to be sanctified. And man, that's hard. While doing sermon prep, heartbreaking. It's weird. Sitting by the pool, I'm watching two teenage girls, and they're just they're posing in the most ridiculous fashions to take pictures in 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 not enough clothing and I wasn't watching them that closely but I'm just watching them knowing exactly what they're doing and they're just desiring to praise so hard of the world and I did I told Abby I'm like man why couldn't they base their life on something else heartbreaking to watch i mean they had to be 15 or 16 and they're just taking pictures in the weirdest most awkward positions just i mean and you know why like you know why and you're just like gosh We do it. Again, not knocking social media, but the desire of praise of others. Man, it drives us to do so many things. When at the end of the day, he says, if you want to be first, be last and serve all. Galatians 6.10, he says, find every opportunity. Paul writing to the church at Galatia that was tied up and trying to figure out what grace looked like versus the law. He said, look, find every opportunity, take every opportunity to do good especially to those that are within the family, in the household of faith. Like, find every opportunity. Find every opportunity to serve. Not just some, not just when it's convenient, not just when you have the time, not just when you have the energy, not just when your tank is full and someone else's tank is empty. No, 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 every opportunity. Every opportunity. That's the reason I love it when I see a mill train filled up. I I do. Like, I love it when I see a mill train filled up. And yeah, we're going to put you on the spot. There's a family that needs a meal train right now within Origins. And we're just going to call it out and say, hey, we're a family. We take care of family. And they had twins. They also have another little girl. And so life is maddening right now. And they could use a meal every night that it's available so that they don't have to think about it. I love it when that's done. You know why? Because it costs us something. It's not always easy. They may live outside of your circle, but they need to be taken care of. And we get to do it. I love that. Super simple. Super simple. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. When someone moves and you find out about it, man, you can go and sweat with them, load a box, load a truck, load it three times, do whatever we got to do, every opportunity. Maybe it's other things that aren't spoken about. Maybe it's other things that we don't even know and we just kind of hear a whisper about and maybe we go and we just take care of a family need without them even knowing about it. Again, I've talked about it a lot, the number of people that took care of, of us over the years. Like, man, the past year for me has, has not been normal, like not, not a normal year. In the case of my 42 years, I, I've never been like invalidic. Uh, for a period of time like I was this year. And to see the family of God take care of me was, it, it was mind-boggling. It was mind-boggling. But, like, selfishly, I'd rather see it for somebody else. And that's not to say that I'm holier than you or anything like that, but, man, I love seeing it when the family takes care of the family. It, which leads to the second thing that we do. We, we must understand the why. We must understand the why. Because Jesus isn't trying to steal our joy. He's not trying to say, look, I I know it feels really good for your praises to be sung and for you to get the attention and all of those things, and I don't want you to feel that. That's not the point. That's not the point. There's a why behind, if you want to be first, you need to be last and serve all. There's a huge why behind all of that. Because, and here's the why, because it's not about my kingdom and it's not about your kingdom. It is entirely 100% about his kingdom. And his desire to see his kingdom grow and come. That's the reason he desires for us to be a servant of all. Because he knows the way that people will know Christ, the way that people will hear about Christ, the way that people will see Christ is the way that we serve them. That's the why. The way that they will see, the way that they will experience, the way that they will hear about, and the way that they will know Christ is done by the way that we serve them. And yes, the words that we get to use as a result. Man, you look at Acts chapter 2 like in the very beginning of the church and it's it's blossoming and it's growing. They didn't go uh, to a retreat. They didn't go to any of those things to learn about being family. They were radically changed by Jesus and it says they went and they lived together. They had all things in common. They were willingly sharing the things that they had been given. They were like, if you have a need, here, I have a way to meet it. And it says the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It wasn't because of the eloquence in their speech. It wasn't because of the beauty in their hermeneutic. It wasn't because of they had taken an amazing apologetics course. No, it was because of the way that... They loved each other And the world looked at it And they're like Man that is stinking crazy But I want some of that How can I have it Oh well let me tell you The why The why Because the world desperately Needs to know Jesus Just like we desperately needed to know Jesus And hopefully most of you Sitting here do But if you don't I'd love to talk to you About that But the why is Because the world Needs to know Jesus And we get to show them In the way that we serve Each other and them why? Romans 12 is a beautiful passage as to how we should then live and how we should not live. And in the very beginning, it says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewal of our minds. For some of us, we need to reorient our mind around the way that Christ has told us to live. We need to change the way that we think about praise and accolades and all of those kinds of things. And I'm not saying it's not okay for people to like you. That's okay for people to like you. As a matter of fact, man, the people of God should be the most liked people in an entire community. But it is entirely about what drives us. Are we driven by the praise of others? Are we driven by the fact that, man, we've been redeemed and we get to live in response to that? What drives us? What propels us? What pushes us? What fuels us? What makes us want to take care of the needs of someone else? Is it so that someone could know? Or is it the satisfaction in knowing that we were able to take care of someone's needs? That we got to be last today and serve everyone from the back of the line forward, regardless of status. The why continued. We were called out from where we were to continue everything that Jesus started. Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, like we talked about last week, we were called out of obscurity in, uh, in relation to God into a kingdom in which we are known by God as His children, He being our Father, Jesus being our Savior, the Spirit being our indwelling agent of change, so that we could continue exactly what Jesus started. The same mission, with the same heart, with the same posture, for the same purpose. The growth and the glory of His kingdom. Some days that means that we pay very little attention to ourselves, And that's okay. That's okay. Some days it means that we're the last to eat. Or maybe we don't. Some days it means that we give our very last to someone else. And it means that we go without. And that's okay. Not American. Not Hebrew. Not Greco-Roman. Not normal. But it is kingdom. And by the way, if you've been redeemed by grace through faith, that's where you live now. That's where we get to live now, in the kingdom. With a kingdom mindset, with a Jesus-like posture, with a mission that he started for his glory, for his purpose, for his fame, so that many may know. The why. The why has to drive us. And Jesus needs to inspire us, and the Spirit needs to equip us. We can do it. I don't know if you've ever been told that you you can. Like, you can do it. Through the power of the Spirit that is in you, you can do it. I can do it. We can do it. Uh, We can do more than grow a church named Origins. We can do more than, than fill seats. We can affect people that live across the street that live in apartments that keep growing up around us, that, that go to schools within five blocks of here. We can do it. But we do need to look to Jesus and learn, and we do need to understand why. Every bit of it. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that uh, you give us a big task, but you also gave us Jesus. And God, because of Jesus... Uh, we're more than capable. Because of the spirit that you promised us after his departure, we're, we're filled with dynamite. We're filled with power. We're filled with your power. We're filled with your indwelling, your guidance, your equipping, your conviction. And God, the posture of Jesus can be ours. The servant nature of Jesus can be ours. And the world can see it. Not for our praise, but for yours. God, I pray that you'd remind us beginning today that um, To seek every opportunity to do good. To seek every opportunity to do good. Not to respond when opportunity arises, but to seek the opportunity. God, I thank you for the goodness uh, of God. I thank you for the perfection of Christ. And I thank you for the hope that he granted us. Uh, God, I pray that this city would be different as a result. Um, Thank you for putting us in a place in which uh, your name needs to be heard. Your love needs to be experienced. And you've placed us here so that we can share both of those. God, we love you. We thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.